I heard an interesting statement this morning when my grandsons were out playing with their little RC cars, you know. And what I've learned is that the youngest in the family has the right to be the most persistent. Yesterday, little Ethan cried out and whined for 12 hours. I want to go to Walmart and get an RC car, Dad. I want to go to Walmart and get an RC. And they already have seven in the house. And he just kept going. And I think the more childlike we really are, the more persistent we'll be. Because we know eventually dad will say, okay, since I'm not going to get any sleep, I'll give you whatever you ask for. And it's like the persistent widow, right? But I heard a neat thing this morning. They were out playing, and little Ethan got his car stuck underneath the neighbor's car. And he cried, dad, dad, dad. And, of course, dad went out and saved the day. And little Benjamin said, see, I told you, Ethan, dad can do anything. I think the more childlike we become, the more that becomes our perspective of him. Dad can do anything. The more we think we can do it, we rely less on dad, and we get more discouraged. The more we realize we can't do it, the more we stop leaning on our own understanding, and in all of our ways keep acknowledging him. Come on. The less defeated we become, the more dependent on him we live. I think we can get to a place where we're invincible because it's no longer us but him. Do you guys get it? One of our favorite verses is 1 John 4, 4, you know, where we always say, greater is he who's in us, greater is he who's in me than all the demons in the world, right? Don't you love that verse? We always forget the first part of it. Little children, don't forget this one thing. Greater is he. If you're not a little child, come on, five times in the Gospels, Jesus says, after you're born again, you've got to become like a little child. You're not supposed to get born again and become like the adult that knows how to do it all without your father. Get born again and become a little child. Which, quit being so independent, American Christians. We need to become so dependent on him that we can't take one breath without him. Come on, John 5, 19, I only do what I see him doing. That's what Jesus said, John 5, 30. I can't even come up with my own thoughts unless he tells me what to think about. Do you get it? Come on, in Mark, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, I can't even say a word unless Papa tells me to say it. He showed us the pattern of lifestyle where greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. And I, I want to preach an interesting sermon, I think, today. Like, it's, it's an interesting title anyway. It's called, You've Got to Get to Your End So God Can Finally Begin. That's what I'm preaching today. You've got to get to your end. You, you don't know why God's not using you the way you dream he could be using you? Because you're not done yet. You've got to get done so God can begin. You get it? You've got to get to your end. Because it's, you know, in 1 Corinthians, it talks about how he didn't choose the, the smart or the good looking or the qualified. He chose the weird people, the insignificant, the base, the, the, he chose riffraff. Like, God chooses unlikely people. You know why? Because they have to depend on him. And when they have to depend on him, he gets all of the glory. Come on, when we have to depend on him, all of the glory. It's not a song. He gets it all if we have to depend on him. Yesterday, we were, or Friday, Friday we were doing our podcast in here, right? I love these podcasts, man. How many of you listen to our podcast? Who likes them? Everybody that raised your hand liked them, so we're doing good? Is it because they're short sermons? I've learned that less is better, right? Like, I preach the eternal gospel most of the time I preach. But we, we, we used Abraham as one of our case studies of what it means for God to be so loving and gracious that he'll do whatever he can to strip us of our ability to do anything of ourselves. So we have to rely on him for everything. And the story of Abraham, you know, he's the father of faith. Not just for Christians, but for everybody that claims to have faith, he's like, we're, he's our father of faith. 
and God, first of all, says, leave your country because I want to give you a land. Leave what you have as a country so I can show you something you've never seen, but I'm going to give that to you if you're willing to leave what you can do without my help. Then he says, leave your family because I'm going to make you the father of nations that blesses the whole planet. Leave your family. And then he says, I'm going to give you a son whose seed is going to bless the whole human race if they'll just believe. And then he goes, oh, I, I know you don't have one yet, so I need you to go outside and look to the sky and look at the stars and imagine if you could count them. That's how many kids you'll have. He doesn't have one yet. Come on. Hey, I need you to circumcise yourself because you're not very productive. Doesn't that seem weird? It seems like you wouldn't want to do that and be more productive. Okay, you guys get it. The girls don't. It's, it's not something I would recommend. And then finally, when Isaac finally shows up, God says, now kill him. It seems like his whole journey, as soon as he finally got a little stride, God would say, no, 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 you're leaning on yourself again. I need you to surrender more. you got to get to your end so I can use you the way I dream. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use Moses today. Can we go through Moses? Is anybody here? I have to fly home tonight. You know that last year, in 2022, I preached 411 times. That's eight times a week. Now, I journal everything I do. This, this year, I'm not doing eight a week. This year, I'm doing 6.7 times a week. So I'm kind of slacking. But I made it up for it this weekend doing eight sermons with Chad, right? I'm, I'm catching back up. But um, this might be one of my favorite messages that I've preached in the last six months because it really speaks to me. And any message that speaks to me becomes one of my favorites. Amen? I want to use the Bible to explain Moses and not Hollywood's movie, The Ten Commandments. Who's ever seen that movie with Charlton Heston? Who saw it? Uh, most of you did. Okay. And most Christians know more about Moses because of that movie than the Bible. And the movie's a little distorted, so that's why I want to go back to the Bible. Is that good? Is that good? So I want to start. Prayed for, prayed for liberty. So, I'm, so I'm, I got liberty. I got some liberty. I, I want to start in Exodus chapter 2. Okay? So can you turn there in your Bibles to Exodus Chapter 2, don't leave, promise, I, I promise it'll get better. <laughs> Exodus chapter 2, I want to start in verse 10, okay, Exodus chapter 2, verse 10, and it says, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she named him Moses and said, because I drew him out of the water. Now, this is interesting. I love this verse because the Egyptians' lead family, or in other words, the world's most powerful family at the time, named him one who's drawn out or delivers. So God has a way of even, have, of, of even getting the world to describe his plans for people's lives. I like that, because his name means deliverer. And he actually is the greatest deliverer of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. And what I find fascinating is during his childhood, the, the person in charge was telling them to kill all the boys two and under. At the same time, when Jesus was born, the leader of the world government at that time was saying, kill all the boys born two and under. Anytime God wants to send a great deliverer, the God of this age wants to kill all chances of that happening. It's interesting. So I'll keep going. Verse 11, it says, Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his fellow Hebrews. So he knew he was a Jew. He knew he was a Hebrew. He didn't, it wasn't by chance. He knew, this is my family. Even though he was raised... As an elite, educated, wealthy warrior, like he was probably the strongest guy in the nation of Egypt, 
but yet he knew he identified with the Hebrews. Do you get it? This is important. This is very important because the movie doesn't portray him like that. It came about when he'd grown up, he's 40 years old, that he went out to his fellow Hebrews and looked at their hard labors, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his fellow Hebrews. So he looked this way and that, and when he saw that there was no one around, he struck and killed the Egyptian and hid his body in the sand. I used to joke about that because, you know, deserts are kind of windy, and if you tried to hide a carcass under the sand, it's probably not a good idea, right? Because it blow away. Anyway, keep going. Now, when he went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other, and he said to the offender, why are you striking your companion? But he said, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses, afraid, and said, surely the matter now has become known. When Pharaoh heard about this, He tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. Okay, so, hmm, 40 years in the wilderness. So you say, what a waste. I want to propose to you that preparation time is never a waste. I want to propose to you that Jesus called John the Baptist the greatest man that ever lived, and he prepared for ministry for 30 years in the wilderness for six months of ministry. He stayed in the wilderness 30 years eating locust and honey for 180 days of ministry. And Jesus says, this is the greatest man that's ever been born of a woman. When Jesus said that, he said, this guy's greater than Moses, Elijah, David, Solomon. Come on, Samuel. And what I think is fascinating about that statement by Jesus is John the Baptist never did a miracle. But Jesus said this about him. Every word he said about me was true. Maybe we ought to reassess what greatness is. Is this a quiet time? I love it. I mean, we're thinking, aren't we? Our little thinking caps are working. Because Matthew 7 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Only those who do the will of the Father. And people's response is, Wait a minute, we do stuff, we do miracles. We cast out demons. We preach. We do crusades, man. Like, we operate in the prophetic. We pray in tongues like we're in. I never knew you. I think greatness in the kingdom is different than what we've... I think if we actually realize what greatness in the kingdom is, it'd be a lot harder to burn out. Because greatness in the kingdom is not what you do. It's how much you rely on the one who does it through you. In fact, I have a verse that I want to keep alluding back to. Did I tell you the title of this message is you've got to get to your end so God can begin? Because if he's not beginning yet, there's still some of you that needs to end. Oh, is that a good... Because I keep doing that. Like, if you... When do I catch the wind? When do I get in the anointing? When do I see the production of what the Word says? Get over yourself. I want want you to go to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. How many of you believe that the Acts chapter 7, when Stephen's talking, he's anointed by the Holy Spirit? When they're stoning him and he doesn't get mad, he just says, Father, you got to forgive him. They don't know what they're doing. All he sees is Jesus rooting him on like, this is an anointed speech. Would you guys agree? Like it's the best story given by human lips of the children of Israel's history in the whole Bible while a guy's being stoned. Probably anointed. Do you get it? Come on, somebody say yes. I get it. Okay, so look at how Stephen describes Moses' dilemma. 
It's a little bit different than the Ten Commandments movie. In Acts chapter 7, verse 20, at this time, Moses was born. He was beautiful to God. He was nurtured for three months in his father's home. And after he had been put outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. I want to stop there. I don't think some of us realize how educated that is. I've studied scholars, philosophers, engineering things about some of the stuff the Egyptians did thousands of years ago. Nobody today can explain how the pyramids happened. They can't explain it. They're within millimeters of perfection of what they were designed to do with no equipment, no computers, no satellites, people. They had wisdom. I I actually read some, some papers that I still have a hard time believing. The Egyptians did brain surgeries on people and fixed their minds. They did cataract surgeries and fixed blind eyes. They had some smarts back then. Do you get it? Come on. And the source of it wasn't all from God, but they had wisdom. Do you get it? They, they know how to embalm bodies thousands of years ago that you can unearth the mummies today, and they still have skin and hair. We don't know how to do that today. When it says he was educated in all the ways of Egypt, he's a smart man. You get it? He would be like a contemporary of Paul, where he was educated in the ways of Gamaliel, and he was probably like a Socrates or an Aristotle. Like, Paul was a genius, but his approach to gospel ministry was, I'm in fear that you guys are wowed by my smarts, and you don't experience the power of God. You get it? Like, Paul could wow you with his talk, if he wanted to use flesh, he trembled at the, at the thought of reverting back to relying on his own abilities. He saw what real success is. I think Romans 12.2 is my favorite verse of what does it mean to be a successful Christian after you've offered yourself as a living sacrifice, which is the only worship that really is acceptable to him, then you can find after your mind starts being renewed every day by stuffing it with the word and not the world. Come on. Then you can find what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know what successful Christianity is? Getting into the perfect will. You get into the perfect will, you won't be wondering, what should I do today? You'll know what you're going to do before you wake up because it's what you have to do or you know you'll die. I'm in God's perfect will. I never work. You say, well, you're privileged. Maybe or maybe I got to my end. Maybe I died. Maybe you don't even see the old Dan. You might see the carcass. There's something new going on in here. You get it? I've been places in my life, you guys, where I didn't know how I was going to go forward. Listen, I remember falling on my knees in my front yard. I didn't know how I was going to make it. And God just says, just give up. I said, how? Trust me. It it felt like I was. I was. You want to get in the perfect will? Get to your end. Let me go back to Acts 7. He was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speaking and action. Powerful, proficient, good. You know what that means? He could win a crowd over by the way he had oratory skills. He could talk and make you spellbound. Uh, what the Bible doesn't tell us and what the Ten Commandments movie doesn't tell us that he was so powerful, not just in how he could lead by his words. He was like an Apostle Paul thousands of years earlier. You guys get it? For some reason, the people that have all the natural giftings have to go through harder strippings than the ones who don't have much and God can work with them quicker. Yay? What I've studied about about this Moses guy was he was the greatest general of generations. 
he actually got more spoil for Egypt than any other general in the history of Egypt. He brought back more spoil from Ethiopia, for instance. He brought what we would call today maybe trillions of dollars worth of spoil, and he was the commander that everybody in the army looked to for leadership. He was a guy that he could get Egypt to turn any way he wanted it to. That's how proficient he was in speaking and action. He wasn't some little guy, "Uh uh-oh, I killed somebody, I better run and hide for 40 years. He wasn't that guy. He was a guy that had the power, and he actually thought at the time he wanted to help a Hebrew boy that this is the perfect time because I have wealth, I have education, the whole army's behind me, nothing can stop me, I know the Pharaoh will do anything I say because he can't afford to lose what I offer and bring to the table. He knew that he was breaking in at the perfect time because he had everything going for him. The problem was he wasn't in God's timing. I'll keep reading. He was proficient in speaking in action. And, And when he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind. This was his idea. It wasn't something that automatically, oh, maybe I ought to stand up for my people. I think he knew about Abraham's prophecy from God that that in the fourth generation, after 400 years, those people are going to come out, and he knew he was the deliverer. I think he knew that he was handpicked. I'm Moses. I'm the one who delivers. I'm the one who draws them out of bondage. I know my calling. All this other stuff was just getting me equipped so I had all the world's assets backing me to do what God created me to do. Moses knew he was going to deliver those people. He just thought it was because of his ability and not God's. Yay. Can I keep going? After he was 40, it entered his mind to visit his countrymen, the sons of Israel. So it's his idea. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he, def- he defended and took vengeance for the oppressed man by fatally striking the Egyptian. And he thought, listen to this, he thought that his brothers understood that God was granting them their deliverance through him. He he thought they would get it. Like, can't you guys see? I'm your knight in shining armor. I'm the one you've been laboring for and crying out for and weeping for. I'm God's answer to you. And anytime you think that's you, you're not to your end. (laughs) Is anybody getting this? Like, any time you think you're God's answer for people's dilemma, you probably ought to go back to desert education. Amen. You know what I've learned? That most people that go into ministry think they're the answer, and that's why most of them don't make it. Um, I, I read a poll not recently, it's been three or four years ago. It was, before, it was even before COVID hit. Now the percentages are worse. But I read a poll where 80% of people that go into ministry quit within the first five years. That probably means that either you thought you were the answer or he didn't really call you. You're just looking for something to maybe feel usable. Come on, 80% of the people quit within the first five years. They go to seminary, they go to school, that actually feel like they're called to ministry. And of the 20% that remain, 80% of them wish they could get out, but they don't know what to do. So they get depressed, and pastors are higher percentages of people on drugs for depression than normal society, and their families get wigged out because of pressure. Come on. So when 80% of the 20% want to quit, but they can't because they don't know how to make a living. Come on, that leaves 4% of the people that were called into ministry are successful. With my definition, they found God's perfect will where they're not needing people's approval because they know they have his. It's pretty staggering, isn't it, you church? Isn't Isn't it staggering? Right now, there's almost 1,800 pastors quitting every month, just in America. 1800 a month? Anyway, I just thought, 
you, I, I just wanted to encourage you. Can I just encourage you? Have I got anybody's attention yet? So see, I think success has to be you finding God's perfect will. It can't be attendance. It can't be dollars. It can't be how many miracles. It can't be how much money's in your account or how big your church is. That can't be success because all that stuff comes and goes. You get it? The only success is I know I'm in God's perfect will. Like, well, how do you know? Because it's like I have joy. Well, wait a minute. I, I thought you had, I got all kinds of problems, but they're not as big as my joy. Like, I have all kinds of pushback, but the more pushback, the more I feel like he's coming out of me. Like, well, how did you get there? I got to the end. I want to keep going. Can I keep preaching? I want to I make a statement here that's probably going to tick some of you off. Can I do that? I promise you I'll get you back to joy before it's over, okay? I want to propose that most people's wilderness experiences are more self-induced than God-led. Now, I know Jesus was led into the wilderness to prove the devil wrong. I get it. That was a God-led 40-day wilderness experience, okay? He didn't like, oh, I did something wrong. God needs to teach me. He didn't do anything wrong. He had to show us that the word's more powerful than the devil, right? He had to show us that. So, and, and I think sometimes other people's wilderness experiences, there's a few of them that I can point that God led them in there. But most of the time, I think our wilderness experiences are directly tied to our inability to perceive that God can't use us the way we are. He needs to strip us. The goal of wilderness is not so you need a sabbatical or you need prayer, or you need ministry. That's not the goal of wilderness experiences, you guys. The goal of wilderness experiences is that you would come out of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you've learned, if I just depend on him, I'm invincible. The moment I start depending on myself, now I'm susceptible. Are you guys tracking with that? And so I want, I want to look at Genesis 15, 13. And this is a promise God gave Abram, Genesis 15, 13. Amen. Somebody, somebody encouraged me to get done. Amen. Somebody encouraged me. I don't need you to. I'm encouraged. I'm just stalling for time, trying to find my page. Genesis 15, 13. Look at this. Then God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that's not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. How many believe God can't lie? That's not a trick question. How many know he can't lie? Okay. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterwards they will come out with many possessions. As for you... You shall go to your fathers in peace. You'll be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they'll return here for the wrongdoing of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God tells Abram, you're going to have a people that are in a country that's not theirs in oppression and slavery for 400 years, and to the day, I'm going to bring them out because my word can't lie. You guys believe that, okay? That's not what happened because somebody thought they could be God's answer. Let's go to Exodus chapter 12 and see what really happened. Exodus chapter 12, and this is what happened because somebody tried to do something thinking they were the answer instead of God. Exodus chapter 12, verse 40. Now the time that the sons of Israel had lived in Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of 430 years, on this very day, all the multitudes of the Lord departed from the land of Egypt. Now, Galatians 4 even says it. Paul even says it. You know, the, the law came after 430 years. So, yeah, we have a dilemma. God says it would only be 400 years, but because of Moses trying to do what only God could do, come on, it was 430 years. Think about that. I'm God's answer. 
I have power. I'm the greatest speaker. I'm the greatest general of the army. I got the most money. Listen, the Pharaoh backs me. You guys, I'm your, I'm your answer. It cost him 30 more years in hell. Because he tried to do it before he got to his end. Oh, I hate that. Do you guys, I hate that. How many hate that? Especially if you're like making bricks with no straw for 30 years, getting beat every day. Come on. Can you imagine how many people are dying because of Moses thinking he's the answer? And he knew it was his calling, you guys. He knew it was his calling. I have all these people all the time tell me, yeah, but I don't have time to get prepared. What a joke that is. Then don't get prepared, and you'll be done in six months. Yeah, but it's different now. We're running out of time. It's never different. There's nobody born again mature enough to do what God put in them to do. It takes time. It took Joseph 17 years to get to where he could run Egypt. Come on, man. It took David almost 18 years to be the king of kings. It, it takes time. Nobody's called, anointed, born again. God moves in. Okay, now you can go. No, that's how you fail. It takes time for you to get to your end so that he's the one you're following and not your own understanding. It takes time. So let me, let, me keep, let me keep reading this. This is amazing. Moses killed the Egyptian in year 390. And you say, well, why would he do that? I think he knew Abraham's prophecy from God. I think Moses was that educated. And I think... He thought, okay, I'm just going to throw this out. This is, this, doesn't, this, this is not in the Bible. This is just me thinking why he would have jumped the gun 10 years early. I think he probably knew there's probably 10,000 of my Hebrew brothers and sisters dying every year needlessly because of starvation, because of lack of nutrition, because of oppression, because of too much sun, not enough sleep. So if I help God out, I could save 100,000 lives. I think he's thinking that. But let's do the math. Because he went 10 years before God's timing, not only did he not save the 100,000 lives, he lost another 300,000 lives with his logic. Because if you go 30 years at 10,000 people a year, now you've got 300,000 people dying that didn't need to die if you just would have waited on God's perfect timing and done it according to his word and not according to your word. And I think when you're at your end, letting God use you as his weapon of righteousness, you don't take a step until he says, take it. You don't take a breath and says, he says, you, I think there is something about really getting usable because then you're usable. Are you guys getting this? I used to think success was A, B, C, and D. And now that I got to the place where I don't know how to do anything. It seems like more's getting done. Do you guys hear me? A couple weeks ago, can I just tell you about one week? Can I tell you about one week? I preached twice to 90 million people in Pakistan and twice to 13 million people in India and three times to about 4,000 people in America, and I only left my house once. What? Because of technology and social media and me not knowing what I'm doing, but God does? Well, I'm pretty happy. I just got tired of operating from home. That's why I flew here. <laughs> I think it's important that I'm here. I actually do invest in you guys every month a lot. Because I think something is significant that God wants to do in my son's life to build a template of what he wants to do all over the earth. And I'm willing to sow into it because where your treasures, your heart is, where your words are, they come and go. Do you guys get it? And so anyway, let me, let me keep, can I keep going? So because I think if Moses would have had patience which means when you're operating in the spirit, you always have patience. 
Because when you're in the Spirit, you have love. Because that's what the Spirit produces is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And it's number one manifestation, love is patient. I think if Moses would have waited on God's timing, he never would have had to lose, he wouldn't have had to leave the palace. He could have been the deliverer from the palace instead of from 40 years in Wilderness University. Do you get it? He didn't have to leave the palace. He jumped the gun because he wasn't at his end. Are you guys getting this? We've got to get to our end so God can begin to use us the way he's been waiting. Look at Exodus 3. Now I've got to land the plane because I've got to get you guys so cheered up now. Come on. Exodus 3. I don't want you to read the verses. You can read it later. I want to shorten it up for the sake of the listener. Now that he spent 40 years getting to the end of himself, God finally shows up and says, now I can use you. Now you're usable. Not when you had all the money. Not when you had the army backing you. Not when everybody in the whole nation, the most powerful nation on the planet, was awed at your speaking ability. I couldn't use you then. Now that you know you can't, you're perfect. Because he says five times, I can't. Now he's not saying it because he doesn't want to be used, you guys. I think he was waiting 40 years for a second chance. He didn't leave out of fear of Pharaoh. I'm going to prove that to you in a minute on the scriptures. He didn't leave because he was afraid of Egypt. He was the most powerful person. He could have changed Pharaoh's mind in a moment. The whole nation looked to him for the next generation vision. Come on, you guys. He was not afraid. He was afraid he missed God's destiny for his life. And for 40 years, he's waiting. And when God finally shows up, he says, now I realize I can't. I can't talk. He's the best talker in the nation. I can't do it. He's the most powerful in the nation. Come on. What would I even say? He's the most educated in the nation. Come on. He got to the place where he realized, I can't. Five times, and God says, good, now I can use you. Yay. Am I too emotional for slow county? Am I just like way... I'm trying to fit in, you guys. I am. Then I get to Exodus 4, and this is kind of where I want to hover. And, and after the fifth time, you know, in Exodus 4, verse 1, he says, what if they, what if, what if they don't believe me or listen to what I say? You know, he's, he was the leader of this nation, and he knew they would believe him, and he knew they had to listen to him because he had power. And now he's saying, what if they don't listen? What if they don't believe? I, I thought I could do it. Now I know I can't. This is very important. And then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, it's a staff. It's a staff. I got nothing. It's just a stick. And God says, throw it down. He gives him two signs. It's interesting. The stick to the snake to the stick. Hands in the coat, leprosy. Hands in the coat, cleanse. I love the signs. But I, I never looked at it like this. He threw it on the ground, and it turned into a serpent, and Moses fled from it. He's not a snake handler. He's freaked out. But the Lord said to him, reach out with your hand and grasp it by its tail so that you can see what I can do with a person who's completely yielded to me. I, I want to turn I want to turn to Hebrews chapter eleven. I want to read some verses here to set the context for what's really going on, the great hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11. I think I'm going to talk about this before I finish the sermon. Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verses 24 to 27. Now look at this. By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So this wasn't by chance. I got kicked out of the nation. 
It was in his head, I want to stand with my people. He knew it was God's calling. You see that? He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That was his choice. Let me keep going. Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the temporary pleasures of sin. He didn't get chased out of Egypt because he was in fear. He chose this. He chose it. Come on, let's keep going. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. You want to know how much treasures he had? I looked it up. Some scholars and theologians and educated people think that Moses' portion of the wealth of Egypt could have been $2 trillion, which is 10 times Jeff Bezos' worth. He considered being right with Jesus of greater wealth than that. He's a mighty man. He just wasn't at his end. Do you get it? Let's keep going. By faith, he left Egypt. Oh, look at this one. Not fearing the wrath of the king. He was not afraid of Pharaoh. By faith, he left Egypt. He did this because he knew he messed up, and he knew he was called to deliver them. He didn't know what was wrong. Church, it's okay to not know. It's not okay to think you know when you don't. Can everybody look at me just for a second? It's okay to not know what God's perfect will is. It's not okay to say, oh, yeah, I'm in it, when you know you're not. Keep letting him lead you through the stripping. Keep letting God have his way with you because eventually if you keep letting him have his way with you, he'll have his way with you. Come on, you guys with me? And, and so, so, so by faith he left Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king for he persevered as though seeing him as, who is unseen. Now I want to go back to Exodus 4 and finish this. Exodus 4. So God tells him Throw your stick down, and so now he's not going to mess up. He's, I think he had 40 years to dream about the next chance to walk in his calling. And I think this time he's not going to miss it come hell or high water. In fact, I think he's so sure that nothing's going to stop him from obeying this time that he's willing to throw down his stick. And when it becomes a snake, even though he's afraid, He's willing to pick it up by the tail, and anybody who knows about snakes knows you don't do that unless you're willing to die because when you pick them up by the tail, they always can bite you. But if you pick them up by the head, they can't because you control them. And I think to get to the place where you're usable, you got to get to the place where you're willing to die to be obedient. <laughs> yeah. Yay. So maybe that's why so many ministries aren't really successful because they're not willing to die to be successful. They want to live to be successful. And Moses had 40 years to think about, if he shows up again, I don't care what it costs me. I'm going for it. We got to get to our end, man. I feel so much anointing right now, you guys. You say, well, this is just a little group. Good. One person can change the Central Coast. One of you. Do you get this? Look at Exodus 4, verse 20. So Moses took his wife and sons and mounted them on a donkey and returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses, Moses also took the staff of God. Now it's not his staff. Now it's God's. <laughs> same person, same car, same hang-ups. Come on, same issues, same stick. But when you're willing to die to yourself and let it become all God's, now it's not your stick, now it's his. Everything you ever need, it's already in you, waiting on you to get to your end so God can begin. I'm telling you, he don't need to give you anything out of heaven. It's already in you. He created you perfectly. 
for his dream, waiting on you to get to the end so he can begin. Do you get it? So then, so then let's, 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 let's end this. Exodus 14, let's end this sermon, this eternal gospel. Exodus 14, verse 13. So we know the story. He goes in town with the stick, and he commands 10 plagues to happen with the stick because it's not his. It's God's, right? I mean, you touch water, it turns to blood. You touch the sky, and things fly in. I mean, you just, it's like pretty powerful because it's no longer you. It's God, right? Like you actually let your life become his. And now just a stick can do anything if it's God's, right? And so now he's led all these millions of people out and all their animals and all the wealth of a nation. Come on, in one day he plundered a whole nation with God's stick, which used to be his. And they led him. Now God says, wait a minute, I got to make sure that you stay at your end, Moses. I need you to come to a dead end up against the sea because I got I to gotta do one more thing. I just can't deliver you from them when they have a chance to come back. I need to deliver you into their hands so they can never come back. And it's going to look like I'm messing up, but if you'll stay at your end, I'll keep beginning because his mercy's new every day as long as you stay at your end. Come on. So they camp up against the sea, and sure enough, God invoked Pharaoh to get on the chariots and come after him. He says, I'm going to make them think you made a mistake, Moses. I'm going to use your obedience to make your enemy think you messed up. Come on. And then they're going to think they got you. And so there they are at the edge of a sea, and they can hear him coming, man. And the people say, Moses, why did you lead us here to die? Was there not enough coffins in Egypt for crying out loud? I thought you were a great leader. I stop make a comment. Anybody who would whine at Moses after he just pulled off the plagues is cuckoo. Like, what are they thinking? The guy just delivered them with a stick. And now they're saying, You're are you an idiot? And so now everybody's afraid. Except the one who got to his end. You can be in the midst of millions of people, and you don't need 100 followers on Facebook to be courageous if you're in God's perfect will. Do you get this? So look what he does. But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Millions of them are afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. Look at this. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will perform for you today. He will do it today. He, like, that's confidence, isn't it? He'll perform today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again, ever. I love that. And then the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. In other words, he'll fight for you when you quit whining. Quit complaining. He's already won the battle. He says it's finished. He just needs you to believe it enough to shut up and believe it. You get it? Come on, he's already saved the Central Coast. There's nobody left out of redemption. There's nobody left out of the atonement. There's nobody left out of the blood. Come on. He's waiting for one of us to actually believe it so it can happen. Amen. Then the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Then the Lord says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? This tells me that for a minute Moses went to praying, which means he went into fear. I think he said those bold statements of faith. God's going to fight for you. Don't be afraid. Today you're going to see the Egyptians die. And then he goes, uh-oh, what if he doesn't? He gets on his face and starts crying out. If he said it because he was at his end and God could use him as a mouthpiece now, not because he was educated in the ways of Egypt, but because he was educated in the ways of the Spirit, he doesn't need to doubt what God's saying through his mouth. He just needs to act on it. Yay. And so here we have a guy, okay, God, uh, you got to do something. He's right behind us. And God says, why are you crying out to me? Pick up your stick. God gave it back to him. It was God's stick. Now he says, it's not mine. It's yours. Pick up your stick and part the sea. <laughs> what if he told one of you? Why don't you do what I've created you to do and watch revival sweep this part of America? What if he really is waiting for us? 
I'm so tired. It's hard. What's hard? You're hard. His yoke is easy. I'm preaching the truth, you guys. So, look at that. Why are you crying out to me? Quit asking me. Lift up your staff. (laughs) Reach out with your hand and divide it. And tell the children of Israel to go to the midst of the sea. And as for me, behold, I will harden the hearts, and they'll follow you, and I'll kill them, and blah, blah, blah. Oh, my gosh. I wish we could stay at the end of ourselves, so God could never have to stop using us. A little later on, they were thirsty, and God says, take your stick, hit the rock. Water came out. A little later on, God says, don't hit it. This time, I want you to speak to it. And he got a little frustrated, which means he stopped being at his end. Wouldn't it be awful to be 40 years leading the people with the stick that God gave back to you and at the end mess up? I don't want to mess up. I want to stay dead to self. Amen? I want, who wants to stay usable? Like, I want God to do miracles. I want God to do everything through me. All I got to do is let him do it and quit thinking I'm the one doing it. I just got to be obedient enough to pick up the stick when he says pick it up. Amen? And speak when he says speak. And go when he says go. Like, And the moment I think I'm the answer... I don't want to spend 40 more years. I want to stay in the anointing moment by moment. So can I pray with you before we transition? Because I can see people are coming in for the second service. Yay. We should have had them join us. Amen. Lord, I thank you for Radiant Central Coast. And I thank you that um, you want to use all of us to do supernatural things naturally. And I thank you that Nothing's too hard for God, and all things are possible to the one who believes. So you know our story. You know our life. You know what our parents need, our kids need, our grandkids need, our spouses need, our businesses need, our church. You're the answer to what everybody needs. You're the answer. And and I just pray you give us courage to get to our end so you could begin to do your dream. Like you want to do amazing things through this church to light up the Central Coast and unite people with prayer and worship and intercession that never ends till you come back. You want to do that. And so I just pray that we would learn from Moses that we don't need to take 40 years in a course. Right now we can die to ourselves and be in real time in 100% cooperation with God.